It's good to hear your voices this morning, a conversation, to come to church, to have some community time. Uh, You ever have one of those days where you just know you're forgetting something? Today is that day for me because I forgot to charge my iPad. I'm like, I know there's something I'm supposed to do. So if this dies, I'm just going to wing it. It's going to be fun. We'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> my, my name is Eric. I'm the, one of the pastors here at Fremont Community Church. It's great to be with he, you this Sunday. Uh, if those of you joining us online, welcome. Uh, I want to open us up in prayer, and then we're going to continue in this Discipleship Pathway series that we've been in for the last several weeks. Uh, Lord, we come to you today, uh, as we always do, um, with a mix of... Uh, of joys and stresses, uh, with a mix of questions and uh, in a mix of security and insecurity, Lord. We see tragedy in Syria and in Turkey, and we see things just around us that seem like they're falling apart, and yet we have these times of joy and laughter. God, we, we just confess this morning that we bring all of it to you, this whole human experience of celebration and, and, and struggle. God, we bring it all to you this morning. Speak into it. Um, lead us. God, we, we need you, and this world needs you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we are in, believe it or not, week six of the discipleship pathway, okay? And uh, we've got a few more weeks to go, uh, and today is the day, I'm just warning you, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat us up a little bit, and then it will build us back up in the next couple weeks. Are you guys cool with that? No? Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> So just to recap where we've been in the discipleship pathway so far, discipleship pathway is steps that we take to be on mission with Christ. Um, And we start with extraordinary prayer and fasting. That's the first kind of step that we take in faith. And so that sounds like we're the most extraordinary prayers and fasters on the planet. No, it just means we, we take that next step. Whatever we're currently doing that's ordinary, we take one more step to make it extraordinary. Uh, And that's something that we continue doing. Um, That's a part of this this journey that we're on together every Tuesday. I hope you've been joining us in some sort of uh, extra prayer time or fasting time or both. Um, And it's been a joy for me to do that and to to just have some things rekindled in my own heart over these past few weeks. Uh, Step two on the pathway as we continue uh, praying and fasting is living as missionaries. And so week one of that, we talked about presence. At first, we become present to God through prayer. Um, we, we ask him to speak to us, to show us his heart. And then we come present to a context, to a place, a, a people in, in, a, in a very specific area of our life. And we start to ask God, what are you doing here? It's in the, that, that presence of prayer and asking what God is up to and being present to listening to what's going on in the world around us, that we become present to what God is up to. And we join him in that. And then we talked about living as missionaries. Uh, uh, We talked about people of peace. Remember that? We talked people of peace. What does it mean to look for people who are open to relationship, to friendship? And how do we start there? Not everybody wants to talk about Jesus with us, and we're going to have to be okay with that. But there are people who are open to friendship, to relationship. And then I I made this claim uh, earlier in the series that, uh, and I don't mean this as an insult to our missionaries, but but we over kind of glorify what a missionary does, which what makes us feel like, well, I don't want that title for myself. I'm not a missionary. I'm not called to be overseas. And so we have a quick video that we want to show you from uh, a couple of our missionaries, uh, Steve and Kathy Craig, who you see here all the time, and uh, also as uh, uh, from Cassandra uh, Luantello, who is in Kenya, and uh, we've got a team going to serve with 
with her uh, at the end of March. And they just want to take us through uh, kind of the everyday life of a missionary. So let's check that out. Good morning, friends. It's nice to be able to give you a little overview of what our days looked like when we were working abroad. Um, when we helped the Afghan refugees, we actually needed to have a work permit and worked with an official refugee organization. Steve was working in various projects and even started a blind project later on and then became the director. He often had very long days at the office and that was before the cell phones existed. <laughs> Sometimes I didn't know where he was or if he was out in the camps meeting people. I uh, did a lot of administrative jobs and of course the homemaking and helped start a school where our own children went from kindergarten to sixth grade and many other workers' children as well. And, and then in the evenings was when we could meet people who were interested to hear more about Jesus and on weekends we would have meetings with local believers. And now that we're uh, seven, I'm 70 and Kathy's coming behind me, uh, we're learning how to uh, be active seniors. And that's uh, given us a little bit more time during the day, although we still do uh, our correspondence and uh, sit at the desk and work. Oh, I, we do get out. I, I go uh, around the street and pray. Um, that's my extraordinary prayer here in uh, in Hayward, and we're getting to know the neighbors. We're uh, involved in, I, I get asked to speak at various churches that we're connected with. Um, we also uh, pray for our colleagues that are still in the field quite a bit. A and uh, we enjoy fellowship with uh, the people in the various churches we're involved in. We're also helping practically with Afghans. We're learning, we're just stepping into that and uh, just had a good conversation with uh, Gary Louie about what uh, FCC is doing, and we hope to be involved in that. Hey, FCC. Good morning from Kenya. I am going to have you guys follow me along on a normal day, the <laughs> life of a dorm parent, um, here on missions in Kajabi. God has called me to live with high school girls 24-7 while they are at school and stand in the gap when they are separated from their parents. My girls' parents work across the continent of Africa to bring the gospel. Many of them work with unreached people groups. Many of them work in locations that I cannot talk about for security reasons. So that tells you how their faith and obedience has called them into their own mission story. But while they are following God in their mission story, God has asked me to join in and partner with them and their families by supporting them here at Rift Valley Academy. Our goal is to educate and disciple missionary kids and TCKs. TCK stands for third culture kids. And so that's what I do. You'll see little snippets throughout my day of how I connect with the girls, what I am responsible for, and how I stand in the gap. As a Dharma mom, there's a lot of things I have to keep up on, not only for myself, but for my girls. So I do a lot of emails and I drink a lot of coffee. I'm just returning home. I had um, staff chai. We get together 
and have chai and we pray together. And then I ran some errands around campus and I'm just returning home for lunch. And then I'm going to go back out after lunch and help a friend with a project that she is starting here on campus. Um, the dogs are super excited. I'm home. And then um, after that, um, I'm going to be busy with the girls um, coming to eat. I have three girls eating with me tonight. And then after school, there'll be just a lot of commotion. So yeah, this is like kind of the halfway point where I'm going to um, get some nutrition and some food and uh, a little breathing space and then head back out. After school, my heart is always to connect with the girls. Um, it's nice to just have that check-in moment of like, let me look you in the eyeball. Like, how was your day? Um, and know whether or not it was a good day or a bad day or a hard day um, before you know they go to bed because there's 20 of them and there's one of me. So the more little check-in moments I can have, the better. So yeah, our, our day is continuing and my girls are really wondering why I'm recording myself, but they don't know that I'm doing a day in the life of a dorm parent. So there you go. But yeah, the living room will soon be full of study hall girls. And then around 8.30, some of them will go out and about until 10. So yeah, our day continues. My, my day started around 6.15, 6.30, and I'm crawling into bed a little after 11, but yeah, I hope you had just a glimpse. Um, today was today was a day in the sense of it was what it was and it was what God wanted it to be, but no day in the life of a dorm parent in, in this ministry is exactly the same. I encourage you as you look through the frantic speed of my day um, that maybe you just stop and take a moment and say if God's using her um, to do life with MKs and TCKs, then what's God calling me to do? Um, I just, yeah, I hope and pray that you would spend some time asking the Holy Spirit that and that you would hear his voice clearly um, because missions is amazing. Missions isn't um, a plan or a format. It's a way of life and we are all called to it. So I will be praying for you guys as you evaluate what that looks like for you, what your missions yes looks like for you. And thanks for joining me on my missions yes just here today. Yes. So we, we share that video for a couple of reasons. Um, if you notice that most of what they talked about was the mundane stuff of life, right? It's the routine, it's the schedule, it's the emails, it's the office work, it's the, this, this isn't this extraordinary thing. They, they, missionaries can't fly. Like they're not, uh, they don't have superpowers that you and I don't have, but what they do have is a commitment to see that Jesus is involved in every aspect of life, in every moment of every day. And so as we go about the mundane things of our lives here where God has called us, they're doing the same thing. They've just been called to a different place. The calling is the same, to see how Jesus is at work in this place that God has put us and to join him in that. And that is a beautiful thing. Um, and I hope, uh, I hope we honor our missionaries for their courage and their faith to say, yes, I'll go wherever you lead me. But I also hope we won't say, that's somebody else's job. Uh, no, instead we would say, hey, we're called to that too. We just happen to be called to that here. Um, one last thing as we recap where we've been. Uh, last week, Pastor Will Walker talked about bless rhythms. What does it look like to tangibly, in the mundane, day-to-day, everyday stuff of life, be a blessing to those around us? And so the B stands for begin with prayer. You notice how that's a theme? <laughs> we pray and we pray and we pray, right? That's so core to who we are as believers, but also as we join Jesus on mission. Listen. We listen to the people around us. What are their stories? What are their struggles? What are they going through? What are their priorities and values? 
We listen to the Holy Spirit as we're in these conversations. God, what are you up to in this person's life? We eat. Who doesn't like that? We eat meals with people. We just share community around coffee table or a dinner table, and we get to know people because that just breaks down barriers. Um, we serve, and we allow others to serve us in a real friendship. It's not a one-way relationship. We serve, and we allow ourselves to be served. We care for each other in tangible ways. And then last story, we share our stories. When the opportunity comes, when the question arises, why do you do what you do? Why are you like this? We, we're, we're ready to share what Jesus has done in our lives. So that's where we've been. And now we're at step three. We're in week six, step three of Discipleship Pathway. And it's this, plant the gospel. Plant the gospel. Now this is the part of the Discipleship Pathway that I think some people get nervous and go, okay, what you've said up to this point I can do. Now what you're saying, not only do I think I can't do it, I don't want to do it. Now there's a, there's a churchy word there's a churchy word that we use to, to, you know, to say plant the gospel. Shout it out. What's the churchy word? Evangelism. Evangelism. Does anybody else get a little weirded out when you hear the word evangelism? If you don't, that's okay. I do. <laughs> what, all right, let's do some word association. Let's make this a conversation. You guys, are you awake this morning? Are we ready? Let's make this a conversation. Let's do some word association. What's something, another word that comes to mind when you hear the word evangelism? Preach. Preach. Door to door. Door to door. What else? Guilt. Guilt. Woof. What was that? Camp. Camp. Yeah, what else? Program. Program. Billy Graham. Billy Graham and program. Tracks, Bible tracks, yeah. Commitment. Commitment. That's a good one. What else? Share. Share. I like that one. That's a good one, too. All right. Evangelism in itself is not bad. But I want to break down for you why I'm uncomfortable with that word. And you don't have to agree with me. This is just my perspective. You know, some of the things you guys threw out, door-to-door, street pe- preachers, gospel tracts. You know, back in the day, there was the four spiritual laws. I'm, I'm sure people still use that. The bridge diagram. These, these kind of prepackaged gospel presentations. And you may have heard me say this before, I, I don't like the word evangelism. The first re- reason is because it's not a Bible word. You don't find the word evangelism in the Bible, okay? Evangelism uh, is not a Bible word. Um, it's something that we, we kind of invented later, a word we invented later to describe something that's good, but it can sometimes take a weird thing. Evangelism makes its way into, into culture in certain ways. Um, like, I've been, at entire, I've been at churches where entire departments were the evangelism department. Or uh, it's an entire genre of Christian literature, how to evangelize people. The word evangelist does appear in Scripture three times. It's a role within the church of someone who has the spiritual gift of sharing the gospel. And some of you just went, cool, I don't have that gift, so I don't have to do it. Um, that's not the case. <laughs> Uh, that's a part of what we're going to get into today, but none of us are off the hook when it comes to planting the gospel. The other reason I don't like the word evangelism is just honestly my own experience with it. Um, my early days in Christianity, I had people try, or before I became a Christian, I had people try to evangelize me, and much of their work actually pushed me further away. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's just true. That was my experience was people would try to like drive by, share the gospel with me, and I'd go, I don't know you. I don't, I, 
you're just kind of sharing this information with me, and uh, I don't really want to have this conversation with you. And then when I was in uh, grad school, I was doing my uh, seminary program, and we hosted a, 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 a branch of uh, Trinity Theological, no, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in our church. We had a, a, a branch of it in our church, and we'd have these amazing professors come out and do uh, these classes for us, and we had to do a class called evangelism. And our, our church was uh, like literally across the street from a 40,000-student state university. And after every class, our homework was to go and try these evangelism tools out on this college campus, just cold-calling strangers, essentially. And it did not go well. It was very awkward. And I think, like, one guy, I thought he was going to beat me up because the more conversation we had, the more he just clenched his fist. And he was like, I don't care about anything that you're saying right now. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. Thank you. It was like, (laughs) it was rough. And, And maybe that's not been your experience with evangelism, but it has been mine. Somebody might say, hey, well, when those conversations, at least you planted the seeds of the gospel. But others might say, Hey, you didn't spend any time getting to know these people. I had no idea what they were going through, what their past with religion was, what their basic understanding of Christianity was up to that point. I may have been doing more harm than good. I told you a little bit of my own story of that, of people trying to evangelize me. And my earliest experiences with church made me want less and less to do with church. And that was a really hard thing for me. Uh, And I'll tell you more later about what eventually drew me in. But it wasn't these evangelism presentations. Uh, It wasn't a one-time conversation with somebody who had some facts about Jesus in order. And and the reason I want to bring this up today is I think we need to break some things down in order to build them back up, maybe in a healthier way. Um, And this is not to say that evangelism and some of these things have been bad. It's just time and place. Has, has the world changed to where we maybe need to think differently about the context we find ourselves in and let that shape how we plant the gospel in the lives of people around us? It's a major symptom of what I, I see as a, as a disconnect between church and the different cultures that we interact with, and I think it's been that way for some time. So many forms of evangelism have been transactional. We see people as a project or, or a problem to be solved. And so we think a simple gospel presentation or a gospel track, though it costs me very little, allows me to check that off the box. I did my evangelism. I'm a good Christian. Even the word evangelize has always sounded to me like something that happens in a factory. We got to pasteurize, we got to homogenize, and we got to evangelize. It doesn't sound relational, it sounds like a product that we manufacture. Okay, my first old man angry rant is over. But I want to talk a little bit about this disconnect in light of what we see in Jesus. Um, How did Jesus talk about the good news of of himself? How did he talk about the gospel? And then what does that mean for us? So we're going to go to Luke 4, uh, verses 14 through 21. And I love this verse because it's Jesus literally saying, hey, it starts now. Let's read these words together. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So this is just the beginning of his ministry. He's going back to his hometown. And it says, The news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. 
And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue uh, were on him, were fastened on him. I love that. They were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's like a statement only Jesus can make, right? Like that's such a, that's a baller statement. Today, it's here because I'm here. Anybody watch the slam dunk competition last night? Anybody? It's just me. This dude made the most impressive dunk and he immediately went to the crowd and he just went, it's over. Like he knew it, he won it. That's Jesus in this verse. He's like, it's here. The thing you've been waiting for, the answers to your prayers, it's here because I'm here. And he's not arrogant about it. He's just proclaiming the good news. He's saying the time has come. The thing that I love about this passage that we really need to rediscover when we talk about planning the gospel is that Jesus' methods matched his message. Say that five times fast. (laughs) Jesus' methods matched his message. I can't even say it. I'm reading it and it's hard to say. I think this is so crucial. In 10 verses later, we see stories of Jesus literally setting people free from demonic possession. He's healing tons of people. He talks of good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed. He's not talking about some future spiritual reality. He's talking about intervening in real people's lives here and now tangibly changing their lives. He didn't just speak good news. He brought good news. He gave good news as a gift to those who truly needed it in the moment. Their physical, embodied lives changed. Again, not just some future spiritual reality. This is so important for us to understand because we need to see that we're shaped by our contexts. Many of our gospel presentations uh, and evangelism strategies have been shaped by our Western European predecessors. The American church, the American Christianity is shaped by Western European Christianity. And these forms of the gospel have a tendency to do a couple of things. One, to be over-individualistic, and two, overly spiritual. That may not sound bad, but I'm going to explain to you why this is important. To individualize the gospel, in some ways I've heard it this way. Do you know you have a problem? You are a sinner, and because of your sin, you are separated from a holy God, and you need a solution to that separation. And if you pray this prayer with me, you will be able to bridge that gap between you and God and have eternal life with Jesus. That's not the story that the Bible poses. It's a feature of the story that the Bible proposes. But it's not the whole story. The gospel is true whether I believe in it or not. The gospel is good news whether I accept it or not. But we're Americans. We're individualists. So we think of things in those terms. We're the main character of the story. And the gospel is about me and my need for salvation. The gospel is about Jesus and how he is king and what he has done to bring reconciliation, and what he is doing to bring reconciliation to all of creation, that is at the heart of the gospel story, and I get to participate in it. 
but I am not the main character. We have to be careful not to look at Jesus as a feature of our life. Oh, cool, that's one aspect of my life. I'm a Christian. I have a compartment for that with all my other compartments. No, the story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is all-encompassing. It breaks down every aspect of life and rebuilds it in a new light. C.S. Lewis once said that uh, Christianity isn't something I believe in. It's something that, that literally helps me to see everything else. It's a lens through which it, everything else is reshaped. And I love that. The second thing, to overly spiritualize the gospel. What do I mean by that? Spiritual sounds good. It sounds nice, right? What happens sometimes is we hear a gospel that's preached like this. Jesus did something a long time ago so that a long time from now, you can have eternal life with God and peace, right? That is the spiritual gospel. You, Jesus did something a long time ago so you can have heaven with him. And again, that's not even what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches our eternal hope is a new heaven and a new earth where, where everything is restored and reconciled to what it was supposed to be, right? Like you'll put your feet in the grass. You won't be some disembodied spirit playing a harp on a cloud like it's, you know, all dogs go to heaven. Uh, <laughs> like you're, we, we have bodies. The physical matters. This, we're not looking for an escape from the physical. We're looking for a redemption and a reconciliation of all things. And so that's one problem with the, uh, the, the over-spiritualized gospel is it, it, dis, it disregards what ultimately God's plan is, which is a new heaven and a new earth in his presence. But where did this gospel come from, the spiritualized gospel? And I think this is the one that I want to just spend some time on because it, it, we need to understand our history. We need to understand where we come from to understand where we're going. This, this spiritualized gospel came about during the colonial period where, where European nations were, were going all over the world. And they were... They were kind of taken over, right? That's kind of the story of history. They just kind of took over wherever they went, right? And, and they, they knew they had a responsibility as Christians to share the gospel, but what kind of gospel will we preach? And in their own words, the words of the conquistadors and in the words of the priests that they brought with them, they, they purposely shifted the gospel. And here's why. If the physical doesn't matter, only the spiritual matters, then I could take your land. And that's not a problem. Because you have a future hope, and that future hope is the spiritual reality. You can preach a gospel of a of, of future spiritual reality and enslave a person because the physical doesn't matter. Your real hope is in the future down the road. Now, before you all call me woke, uh, <laughs> these are the words. These are the words of the people who went out conquering the world. They had this tension. We want to take it all for ours. We want to claim it as ours. But we also know we have to do some sort of Christian activity. We've got to tell people about Jesus. And this is the gospel that they invented to do that. And the problem with that is we're still dealing with the outcomes of that today. So many Christians find themselves in a difficult place in time. And, and, and some of it is the fruit of that kind of evangelism, that kind of gospel witness. We hear a spiritualized gospel preached in churches. Churches that don't care about their city or their neighborhood or what's going on in real people's lives. And so people who, who've, who've been raised in Christianity are going, well, what good does Christianity do? What good is the gospel 
do in, in this place if we don't even think about our neighbors or our community? Or we hear about a gospel that will transform you, and we hear the preacher tell, tell us of all the ways that Christians are morally superior to the rest of the world, only to have that same preacher be revealed to be an abusive leader or an adulterous spouse or sometimes far worse. And we're left to wonder, all of this teaching to tell me how to live my life, but you're just as bad as the rest of us. Actually, you're worse because you prop yourself up as better than other people. Or we hear things being added to the gospel. We hear preachers say, no, you're saved by grace through faith, which means we're saved not because of anything we've done. We can't earn it, but not through our own goodness, but because of the life, death, and resurrection and the rule of Jesus Christ. But there's all sorts of gatekeeping going on. People seem to add to that gospel, right? You're not really saved if you don't believe what I believe about the Bible. You're not really saved if you don't agree with me on this specific moral issue. You're not really saved if you vote for that political party, right? For some churches, YouTube preachers, Christian politicians, in one breath we hear Jesus loves you, and everything else they say sounds more like hate than love. All right, I'm being really heavy. I'm going to take a minute for levity. Anybody remember Nolan Ryan, the pitcher, great pitcher? He threw really hard. In one game, he threw a 100-mile-per-hour fastball and hit a guy in the back, and it looks painful. That guy's name was Robin Ventura. And Robin Ventura said, I'm going to go fight Nolan Ryan. And that was a bad idea. Because as soon as he got to the mound, Nolan Ryan put him in a headlock, and he punched him so hard he left his feet. He went like this. Like, that's how hard Nolan Ryan punched this guy. And there was blood. And it was awful. And I'm not a fan of violence, but I am a fan of a good word picture. Too many people have experienced the Christianity where we feel like we're in a headlock and somebody's saying, Jesus loves you, while we get punched in the face. And this is important. I could go on and on and give example after example, but I've seen so many people in my life experience things like that. They hear this idealistic gospel or this individualistic gospel or this spiritual gospel and they see the wreckage all around it and they're going, what good does any of it do then? Someone very close to me, he lost his faith when he started seminary. Yeah, he started seminary at the same school I went to seminary and he got in there and all of a sudden he heard different perspectives of Christians all around the world. And he had heard all of these things. You're not a real Christian if you don't do this, this, and this. And then he met all these Christians who were different and had different perspectives. And there was some conversation about different doctrines. And, and you know what it did to him? It made him say, if they lied to me about this, what else did they lie to me about? And maybe they weren't lying. Maybe they were trying to earnestly follow Jesus. But the, another way to put it is if they were so confidently wrong about this, what else are they confidently wrong about? You see, in Christianity, there's always been this idea of like three circles of belief and practice. And in the center of the circle is the most important things. What do we believe about Jesus? What does it mean to be saved? Like those core Christian doctrines. And then that secondary thing, you know, it's where a lot of our denominations come from. We disagree about, you know, modes of baptism and what communion means and things like that. But, but I don't look at somebody who disagrees with me about that and say, well, you're not a real Christian, although a lot of people look at me and say that. Um, and then there's this tertiary circle, the third circle, where it's like preferences, 
right? Preferences, uh, the kind of music we like, the style of uh, Bible we read from, the translation of Bible we read from, the, uh, the dress code, whatever. There's these things. And for too many years, the things in the second and third circle have been told to us as if they're in the first circle. What that means is we've built a foundation of faith on things that shouldn't be in the foundation. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the whole foundation crumbles as we meet people who disagree with us and they're not crazy or evil or whatever else we were warned about. Okay, I bring all of this up because I think it's important for us to pause and look at the context we find ourselves in. I don't bring this up to beat us up. I bring it up so that we can live in reality. We can't bury our heads in the sand and deny our history and what's going on around us. If we're going to be people on mission, if we're going to be people of the gospel, we have to know the context that we are sent into. And I promise next week will be more encouraging. But I do think it's important for churches to take stock of what's most important and focus on these things. Too many of us are being pushed away from Jesus because of the way that we represent him with our gospels. We've got a lot of work to do to deal with the reputations we've earned, both good and bad. We've got a lot of work to do to demonstrate the credibility of the gospel. And here's where I suggest Luke 4 goes a long way to helping us find it. Okay, we broke it on down. Let's build it back up. Let's talk about where do we go from here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your your hearing. Jesus fulfilled those words. He didn't just proclaim them. He did in his earthly ministry what he claimed to come to do. He made a difference in real people's lives, real circumstances. He didn't just talk about a future reality, but but what he was doing here and now. That's what the church of Jesus needs to be up to in our current context. Perhaps we maybe need to take a more humble posture with the culture around us and do less talking and more serving. Spend our time and efforts demonstrating the good news first. To be a people who bring tangible good news to the poor who are in our midst. To bring freedom to those who are oppressed in real life ways. To bring healing, physical healing, psychological healing, and yes, spiritual healing too. And I love the order of this. Jesus quotes Isaiah. He says he's, he's anointing me uh, to do this all, uh, to all this powerful, life-changing demonstration of the gospel, this tangible stuff. And then proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So before we talk about proclaiming the gospel verbally, which is something we're going to talk about next week, let's refocus on how we might embody the gospel in real life, in real life tangible ways. The first task we have is not to think about what the gospel means for the world outside the church, but what it means for us within the church. How is it shaping us as individuals and as a community? How are we being empowered to demonstrate the Lord's favor? The good news that God loves you Right? Isn't that what we believe? That the good news starts with God loves you. I I saw something this week that that kind of encapsulated where some of the cultural misses are happening. 
I saw a pastor make a statement. He said, the most fundamental truth about you is that you are a sinner in need of grace. And I thought, that seems to make some sense. And then I thought more about it, and I said, no, that's not the most fundamental truth about me or anybody. Because the Bible starts with this in the beginning, and it talks about God creating. And what does it say about us? In his image, he created them. That's the first thing about it. The most fundamental truth about you is that you are created in God's image, which means you are of eternal value. The most true thing about you is that God loves you. Yes, we have run away from him. We have a sin problem, and Jesus is doing something about that. He has done something on the cross, and he is doing something about that by drawing people to himself. But the most fundamental truth about everyone you come into contact with is that they are made in the image of God, and they are loved deeply by him. Let that be our posture. Let that be the motivation for everything that we do, that we might tangibly proclaim good news with our actions and our love. And then, then we could talk about what the good news means, what salvation means, what the gospel is for those who need it. I'll close with this. I'm going to ask the, the band to come up now, and we're going to sing a couple worship songs. I know this wasn't the most uh, encouraging sermon, but <laughs> this is a sermon that I need to preach to myself and that we need to hear. I've been there through that faith deconstruction process, asking those same questions. If I was so confidently wrong about this, what else am I confidently wrong about? And I've had to ask those deep questions and pick it apart bit by bit and rebuild it based on what the scriptures tell me. And so many people in our midst are going through that same thing, and this needs to be a safe place to do that. If you're questioning, if you're doubting, if you're struggling, this is the place for you. One of the people, I, I listened to a podcast this week, and uh, it was about people who had gone through this process of deconstructing their faith. And one of the key things that was told to this, this, this woman um, as she was trying to pick up the pieces of what she believes and doesn't believe was, if you're 99.9% .9 sure, then you're 100% lost. And I went, oh, Oh, she, she wants so bad to have 100% certainty in her face. She wants so bad to believe in Jesus with everything she has, and you're telling her the slightest doubt means she's lost. Like, that's crushing to a person, right? If you're 50% sure, this is a place for you, I promise. If you're 2% sure, this is a place for you. We will work through this stuff together, okay? There's also a world out there that needs to see tangible good news. I've spent time deconstructing today, breaking down the gospel, maybe even, hopefully doesn't feel like an attack, but maybe even poking at the way you've heard the gospel preached before. So I want to redefine it for us. I want to bring up a, a fuller definition I think is really helpful, and it's not going to be all that different than maybe what you've heard. And this is from David Fitch, a professor and mentor of mine, who uh, he wrote a book called Faithful Presence. And this is what he says, the gospel in one paragraph. The gospel is the announcement that God has fulfilled the promise of scriptures to make the world right in Jesus Christ. Christ has died for our sins. By his death and resurrection and ascension, because he's on the throne ruling right now, he has defeated the effects of our sins, including death itself, and he sits at the right hand of the Father ruling over the world. In Christ, the new creation has begun. Old things are passing away. 
Behold, the new has begun. All who respond to the good news repent of the old ways and make Jesus their Lord and Savior. They enter in and become a part of what God is doing to reconcile the whole world to himself and receive the power to be children of God. This is in one paragraph, the gospel. Yes, Jesus did something a long time ago. And yes, we do have eternal life waiting for us on the other side of this life. But what he has done and what he is doing changes everything about here and now. It means we participate in God's work to reconcile all things to himself. We have an invitation to join him and experience the fullest of life here and now. And as we live as missionaries, we demonstrate that good news and we carry with us the invitation for anyone else who wants to join us. That to me is exciting. That to me is, is, is like the thing that I live and breathe for. It's why I work at this church because that's what I want to be a part of. And my hope is that you're all in on that too. Let me close in prayer and then we're going to worship. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that repentance is a built-in piece of faith. <laughs> that, that just the very definition of being a follower of you means we recognize we fall short. We don't have it all together. And Jesus, your church has not always gotten it right. And it's not to demonize us. It's not to, to act like nothing we've done has been good. But it's always this mix of good and bad because we are in this mix of being transformed and still full of sin. Give us humility, Lord. Give us humility to represent you. To represent you with the kind of loving kindness and mercy that you brought with you. God, I... I I, I almost like, I hesitate to even bring this up, but Lord, I, I wonder if there are people here today who have never put their faith in you. Uh, and not because of an emotional moment of, of, of conviction in church, but they just, they want more. They want to know this Jesus who came here, who took on flesh, who faced everything that we face, who, who, were, who was crucified demonstrate his love for us was raised again to give us life God I pray if anybody in here is, is feeling a tug in their heart to, to truly trust in that gospel for the first time that they would God for those of us who've trusted in the gospel for a long time help us shape us God that we have gospel shaped lives that we make a tangible difference in the lives of those around us so that when we speak good news it's just repeating what people have already understood from our actions God help us I pray this again help us to do this humbly help us to do this humbly because we are all hypocritical and we all are fall short but we all want to point people to you and Lord as we continue to 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 define what the gospel means in our context and how, how it fits into this discipleship thing, God. We want to follow you in faith. God, give us faith to take steps to bless our neighbors this week, to bless our coworkers, our, our peers at school. Give us faith to serve somebody, to take care of somebody who's in need. God, give us faith to just Hear your spirit tapping us on the shoulder. 
when you want us to show your love to somebody, Lord, this week, help us to do that. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.